Hi, my name is Jacob Barr, and I am here with John Enzor with Passion Life. And today we're going to talk about how when something is worth doing, it's worth doing badly. John. Good to be with you, Jacob. So this quote of if something is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly or badly. I think this is just extremely exciting because it aligns with a vision that I think um, helps me connect with where I feel called by God to go. Can you tell me a little bit more about this, this quote, John? Well, the quote is from G.K. Chesterton, who was famous for being able to say complex things in a very simple and a pithy way. What he was arguing for in this quote is that people need to appreciate how beginners get started doing great things. And anything that's worth doing well, he's arguing, is worth doing poorly, meaning getting involved even if you're not very good at it yet is better than waiting for an expert to get to it because there's a for every one expert there are 10,000 non-experts and so you want to create a movement you need to really be able to attract people to your cause who are not experts and put them into places of impact where they can make a contribution without feeling like they have to become experts or excellent or perfect in everything that they're doing. Movements don't grow that way. And uh, whether you're talking about someone who opens up a, uh, a donut shop or uh, starts a church or a business, uh, anything that people do takes initiative more than expertise. Expertise is something that grows along the way. And that's the point. Anything worth doing is worth doing badly to begin with. <laughs> what sparked my positive reaction to this article you wrote is this lady, uh, Lori DeVillis. She prayed at the beginning of this pro-life team podcast when we were getting things ready. She prayed, the prayer of Jabez, which was to increase her territory, but she defined it in a way that was unique. It wasn't about more money or more power or more, um, you know, a larger uh, influence. But essentially, she defined it as more volunteers on the pro-life team working towards this common goal of helping women and men who are experiencing an unintended pregnancy and who are uh, being marketed to by Planned Parenthood to choose abortion, with this ministry then drawing those people away from abortion and promoting the reasons and benefits of choosing parenting, of choosing adoption, and how that will align with long-term 
uh, joy more so than short-term relief. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I just think this is very exciting to, to see this quote and your passion behind it connect with how we are growing this movement, inviting people to, to join, to volunteer, to become involved, to pray, and to provide ministry to those who we're trying to serve. I think this quote and Lori's prayer pair perfectly together and align with this vision that I believe God is calling us as a group towards, and or at least calling me towards, which is to grow the pro-life team and to encourage and find new volunteers in a way that will invite them to, to start where they are and to not be overwhelmed by people who are experts in a given area, but essentially recognizing that we all start on day one. We all start as new, and it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to you know, start off as just okay or at a beginning spot. And it's still good to progress. It's still good to polish and enhance. But at the same time, we are inviting people to join in this movement in a way that will invite all people, not just those who have had a certain amount of practice or a certain type of skill set. There is room for everybody to assist and to help in saving lives in the pro-life world. You know, uh, there are pregnancy help clinics now that are approaching the 50-year mark of their existence. And of course, uh, recently, Heartbeat International national celebrated their 50th year of as an organization that's right and as a movement uh begins to mature it begins to develop books and training manuals and 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 high le levels of expertise and that's kind of where we are at this moment and i myself have written a book on crisis intervention which i'm trying to develop our skill set but in spite of all of that, if you want a movement to grow, you must never lose track of those initial thoughts and feelings that people had when they started the movement or when your pregnancy center first began. It began with people who, who had no more expertise uh, than the fact that they had a desire to help mothers and babies, for example. Uh, they didn't know how to do phone counseling. They didn't know how to counsel people. They didn't know how to raise money. But all of those pioneers that were the founders of Heartbeat International or your local pregnancy center, they had initiative, they had passion, and they had faith in God. And that was enough to get started. And I like to remind people, even the, you know, the Good Samaritan did not go to a conference to figure out how to help the man who was about to die. He didn't have to read one of my books to figure it out. Love is its own teacher. And we need more than love alone, but love is enough to get us started. And then as we gain experience, we'll ask the right questions and we'll learn more. And if we want our movement to continue to grow, we have to have this tension between wanting to be get better at what we do but at the same time, actually get better at helping new people learn immediately just enough information for them to engage in the battle and be put to work. 
If we don't do that, what we'll do is we'll overwhelm people with books and, and, and 300 pages of material and their initial childlike passion to help moms and babies will be smashed. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's kind of what I'm calling for is as we get better at what we do, let's actually get better at helping people know how to get started, even if they do things poorly. Yeah, I like that. That's, and so, um, and I feel like that's the future. And I, I think you were writing about this years ago and I think you called it something of, in regards to like the third wave. Um, the third wave and how that involves people joining this movement and, you know, where you think you might, where we might be today in that regard. Yeah. You know, there's a, one of the founders of Heartbeat International is Sister Paula Vandegeer, Catholic nun, and uh, a woman that I met probably 25 years ago when I was just starting as a Baptist minister to get our churches involved in Boston to start a pregnancy center. And she talked about the first wave of the pro-life movement and the second wave of the pro-life movement and how initially uh, it was a Catholic movement, almost all, it was just entirely pro-life was Catholic. And it was a kind of a proverb. Oh, well, I'm not Catholic. You know, that's the kind of the pro-life thing. Well, if, if you're Catholic, you're pro-life. If you're not Catholic, then you might have different views. Okay. Then she talked about the second wave of the pro-life movement is really when people like Dr. Dobson and Dr. Kennedy, Jerry Falwell and a few others started to summon the evangelical church into the cause of life. And, uh, and she called that the second wave when the Catholics were joined by the evangelicals. And I've been uh, talking to her and lots of other people ever since then about the third wave and the third wave of our movement will be the minority wave when our Catholic, when our, when our, uh, African-American and Hispanic Christians not only join our movement, but lead our movement. I think they will be necessary for us to achieve any level of victory in our country and culture because abortion is targeted primarily in the minority community at this point. So they hold the key to our success. And I just call it the third wave. And it's just part of this idea of just keeping a movement growing and expanding, bringing more people in all the time and immediately finding a place for them to make a difference. Yeah, I really appreciate you, you know, your, this vision that you have casted over years ago in regards to growing the team. And also part of that growing the team was including, you know, you know, the, the groups of people who are essentially, you know, have the most to benefit from, from overturning uh, abortion, uh, because their groups are more targeted than the average group. Um, it also makes sense that, you know, we want all groups to be included in this work and, and just to have the vision to like, see, you know, you know, essentially to see abortion overturned in the future and to have that desire and to see the trends. Um, and, and I have a great deal of gratitude for those people who are, are, you know, the early starters in this movement who, who helped, you know, who helped initially with so little resources and so little, you know, you know, idea of how to, how to do it right. Essentially was trying to do it out of love and then 
over time, now we've got more data, we've got more examples, we have more case studies, we have, we have more tools, we have more professionals willing to help. And, and it's definitely a different environment um, today. Um, and there's still a lot of work to be done. And I think in the end, there's so much work to be done that my encouragement for people is we need more people to join in the effort. There is, there's no shortage of good work to be done here. Um, I, I was once sitting on an airplane talking to someone about what I do. And he asked me, well, you know, essentially in the end, he asked me, you know, what would I have to do to help save a life? And my encouragement to him was just to volunteer at the local pregnancy clinic in his area. And, and it just seems remarkable to me that this is, you know, there's an opportunity for someone to volunteer. There's so much space for people to get involved. And literally, this is the work of superheroes when it comes to saving lives, but it's better than the Marvel superheroes because these are real life superheroes who are, you know, giving out of their time and care in order to save someone's life they don't know personally, but because they love God, they know that that, you know, unborn child and that mother and that father reflect who God is, even if, that, if they haven't chosen God they still reflect a piece of who God is. Yeah, I think it's really important for us who are now considered to be leaders of our pregnancy centers or the larger pro-life movement to um, never underestimate the need for and the power of volunteers. This is another thing that typically happens to a movement as it matures. It develops its own experts, and then it starts to, to look down at volunteers. Well, no, real movements always continue to find a way to capture and to employ volunteers. Otherwise, the movement actually slows down and it stalls. But a movement that grows has to be able to attract more and more volunteers. And in my research on this, uh, in, in crisis intervention, uh, services like uh, take uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, for example, um, uh, they've made tremendous impact on on how Americans think about drinking and driving. Uh, how did they do that? They found multiple myriad ways to to start chapters in town after town after town after town using nothing but volunteers. Uh, almost all crisis intervention ministries or services heavily depend on volunteers. So it's important for us as we grow and mature and professionalize that we recognize that volunteers are always a part of crisis intervention services and are necessary if you want a movement to keep growing rather than to stall out. And the more we send the message to our churches and to our, 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 our people, there's a place for you to serve. And we can equip you sufficiently, not expertly, but sufficiently for you to come in here and make a contribution in the life of a mother and a child. Our movement will continue to grow. Awesome. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, so I've been praying. I was praying last week. I felt like God was laying on my heart um, that we have a need as a movement to have a new type of volunteer um, in the future, which would be a volunteer that helps multiple clinics. 
such, you know, because essentially this whole world that we live in where people can work remotely and help, you know, they, you know, we, people go to work remotely. Sometimes we've, we've, many of us have learned how to include remote church as part of our experience in 2020, even though we prefer in person. But I feel like where God is, you know, leading, in, in, there's going to be an opportunity for people who want to serve to serve multiple clinics and not to simply serve one clinic. And I think that's something, I don't know where God's going with this, but I just know that that's been on my heart lately. And I feel like he's asking me to work on it, but I really have no idea of really how to, I'm essentially seeking how to figure that out right now. But I do believe God's working in that new space of like a multi-location volunteer opportunity. And that's about as far as I've gotten when it comes to this new direction. (laughs) But yeah. Well, it's a good idea. I think the, again, the, the mark of a great growing movement is there's a, a constant creative energy flowing through it, finding different ways to do things. We're like uh, ants at the picnic, okay? Whatever yeah. is put in the way to block us one way, we figure out how to go around, over, under, crawl, you know, we do whatever we need to do. And that's, again, a great sign of an energetic growing movement that can't be stopped, even though it has many obstacles. And COVID has really opened up a lot of new avenues for, for work that would not have been accepted uh, a year ago, year and a half ago, working yeah. from home counseling using video, medical counseling uh, on video. A lot of these things would have been uncomfortable for both us as a counselor or a woman or a couple in crisis to to engage in, less so today because it's now just part of the fabric and part of the toolkit of communication today. And I think it will be important for us as we start to think about abortion as a worldwide effort. You know, Americans only... we. We only have 3% of worldwide abortion in Amer- in the United States, only 3%. 97% of the problem or the injustice of abortion lies outside of the United States. So again, finding these tools that you're talking about is part of it. Some of us need to go to places like China and Vietnam and Cuba. We'll get into that, that's what we're doing. But there are ways now that people can sit at home and talk to people. I talked to people yesterday who are sitting in their home in um, in South Africa. Okay. <laughs> wow. And uh, we regularly are talking to people sitting in Cuba, and and at at the end of our time together, I'm going to be having a meeting with a leader in Cali, Colombia, yet today, talking about the things that we want to do in that country. So. Using all these tools as another way to keep growing and, and bringing more people in. Counseling, fundraising, storytelling, encouragement can all be done from multiple sites now using multiple tools. Yeah, and especially when it comes to some professions, we, you know, the average clinic um, has not had a legal team in the past. I mean, they, there's NIFLA and ADF, but they haven't had like a local legal team to review content or to you know to review um, certain pieces that they're looking to use. I mean, some some have, but it was definitely just a small percent because of the the extra cost of having that kind of resource. However, um, there are some groups who are looking at trying to to create a shared network of 
you know, of legal professionals in order to um, support and bolster the movement and support and bolster um, clinics to need that help and service. Um, and there's some talk of that. I'm not sure, you know, it might end up being mostly in California or maybe it'll go beyond those walls. But there's also talk of, there's a couple of different groups who are, you know, uh, you know, essentially like networks of nurses. And I can imagine that it's starting to benefit the average pregnancy clinic. Um, and so if someone is a, you know, a nurse or a doctor who wants to get involved, they, they definitely can get involved with the local clinic in their, in their county or zip code, but there's also room for them to get involved with other clinics as some of these tools be, be, continue to develop. Uh, and especially as some of these networks like, you know, Doctors yeah. for Life or Nurses for Life, as these groups develop, yeah. uh, there's gonna essentially be a way for doctors and nurses to join that network, which then can benefit um, many clinics. Um, so, you know, 30 doctors yeah. might end up serving a hundred clinics and that would be, you know, allowing for more rural areas that may not have a doctor in their area on, that has a certain specialty um, to now be able to have the same resources as a more populated, um, larger city uh, clinic. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think all of those things can be developed. And again, the key is to keep finding ways to, to take people's expertise and put them into the battlefield somewhere. When I started in Boston uh, 30 years ago, we developed six pregnancy help medical clinics. And we only had one doctor. So we had to uh, set up a VPN network for okay. all six clinics. So the one doctor could uh, look at ultrasound scans on his computer um, and, and cover all of the HIPAA uh, issues of privacy and doc medical documents and so on and so forth. And we used a VPN. It was a very expensive network we had to build. And of course, now you can buy, you know, you can go online and use a VPN. And, you know, all these tools are just so much uh, easier to use now. So whether it's legal work, medical work, other areas of expertise, uh, there are ways now for someone to serve a community of pregnancy help centers rather than just a local one. No doubt about that. And maybe one of our national organizations will take more and more of a lead in providing those kinds of services as, as time goes on, or maybe a, a new organization will develop. Yeah. And there's, and I, and I really um, appreciate, you know, Heartbeat International and CareNet. And then there's several other groups who are smaller, but yet also making a great impact in the areas that they're serving. Like, for example, International Life Services with Sister Paula, uh, Alliance for Life in Missouri, and uh, the Right to Life League of Southern California. I feel like, you know, amongst all of these groups who are essentially serving um, several, well, in some cases, thousands of clinics already in some places hundreds or yeah. less than hundreds. Um, I, I really appreciate these groups because they're essentially empowering multiple clinics. And that's sort of where perhaps this inspiration came from in a way is that when a, when a group like Alliance for Life Missouri is working so hard to support all of these pregnancy clinics in Missouri and sometimes surrounding areas out, really outside of Missouri, um, uh, that's all, you know. That's a perfect example of like how it, maybe how a volunteer could also benefit. Maybe not to that number, but maybe benefit several clinics. Um, one thing that my team recently have been working on is trying to build 
really beautiful national grade uh, pieces. Like for example, a Facebook image or Instagram image or an article and then making it so that multiple clinics across the country can essentially use it. And we're leveraging the power of copy and paste and rebrand mm -hmm. in order to you know, take something that would normally cost a lot with lots of hours, making it so that it takes literally just minutes or less than an hour based on how much work it is to rebrand, but trying to find ways to help the, to help the movement or the group more so than just a single clinic, which essentially yeah. makes it so more things are accessible for the average clinic to, to use because it reduces the, um, the amount of time or the, ex, you know, the, the amount of cost yes. involved. Yes. Well, now you've swerved into another uh, characteristic of a growing movement, which is that uh, resources need to be created and shared freely without any kind of encumbrances. Uh, typically we make things and we make sure our name is on them and they're copyrighted and we sell them, blah, blah, blah. But, but movements grow when you can hear something, obey it and share it quickly, okay? And uh, that's why the gospel can spread without having to buy a book or uh, uh, you know, if you've encountered Jesus Christ, you may not know a lot, but you know enough for you to know how your life has been changed and who did it and on what basis it happened through the cross and be able to share that with somebody, okay? So when you're creating materials that people can use uh, immediately and to share them, you're adding to the, uh, the ability for a movement to continue to grow. Interesting. And, and that's what we do in China, for example. We went over to China. We've trained over 3 million people in China now since 2012. And uh, the essence of what we do is rapid reproduction. Hear it, obey it, share it. So anything that requires high tech, anything that costs money, all of these things slow repetition down. Okay. But if I can, if I can give... 25 pastors, let's say, a thumb drive that has the videos on it, the biblical training, and some PDF models and examples of what they want to create. And all of it can be freely copied and freely shared. Uh, then a movement can, can, can grow. So that's what you're doing now. You're finding another way to create content that can be immediately shared uh, in a very quick way. And when you do that, you've added fuel to our movement. Awesome, that's very, and it's interesting that our movement has so many audiences. So like, so like this content we're talking about in this podcast, this is meant for the team in order to help and encourage, you know, help encourage um, pregnancy center directors, board of directors, you know, the people, the leadership teams at pregnancy clinics. Um, but then the content that many of us, you know, team leaders or different groups will create is meant for the, the, the clients, the clients who are experiencing an unplanned pregnancy, looking for services. And then we're trying to meet them where they are to provide them with love, care, listening in order to build rapport and, and you know, essentially then provide them with really excellent um, uh, reasons for why, you know, why they might want to choose parenting or adoption. 
looking more down the road, more so than, more so than at the short term. And, but anyways, so essentially those are two audiences, but then we also have the donor audience of, of church communities, pro-life people who want to help um, support these clinics. And so I feel like the crazy clinic world, while it's a beautiful thing, it has a lot of audiences that the average nonprofit seems to have less complexity or less audiences to try and balance uh, a bit. And so we, we have some very different audiences and different groups, especially the, the client versus the supporter audience. Those are in very different uh, uh, places of life or postures at least. Um, and, um, but anyways, yeah, it's, and I feel like there's room for growth in all three of these areas for these different audiences with materials in order to support, um, you know, the client client marketing, uh, support marketing, as well as helping develop leadership roles, um, which has traditionally been done through Heartbeat International and CareNet and these different groups like International Life Services. They've pr produced a great deal of materials and try to collect uh, or, you know, direct um expert content towards these leadership people. Um, but perhaps maybe having a more grassroots approach to try and share material such as this podcast, maybe this will be helpful. And maybe this is maybe an example of how the movement is continuing to mature because this is not coming from a, there's no price, there's no, um, you know, there's no profit margin of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, this one is, this one is um, this freely distributed and being built without yeah without compensation at least not just there's no compensation yet <laughs> yeah so. i think um uh there's a paradox that we're feeling which is that on one hand we want to strive toward excellence and improvement but as we succeed there is a constant need to simplify everything that we're doing for the non-expert and and uh that's kind of where we are right now as a movement after 50 years i spent years i've written and published six different books and when i started to work in china in cuba vietnam i realized that i could not sell books i could not ask people to read 100 pages for this or 100 pages for that so i took the content of three of my books 300 pages basically and i reduced them to 10 pages and I put them on a piece of paper so that anybody can copy them, photocopy them, email them, send them out, whatever, okay? So that no one needs to buy those resources. Now they can as their interest and their expert and their desire to learn more goes on. The book I wrote on crisis intervention counseling for the pregnancy centers, I also have a, it's 120 pages, but I have a three page version of the same content that we use when we go to a place like Cuba so that we can say, listen, in these three pages, we can provide you an outline sufficient for you to get started. And then as you grow and gain experience, you're gonna ask certain questions, you're gonna hit the wall in certain moments. And here's a, another resource that you can go to to learn more and develop your expertise. And that is constantly, I think the tension that we're in right now, which is how do we simplify to make our movement grow? And how do we constantly improve our skill set so we develop a professionalism about who we are and what we're doing? Even to the point where we can send, you know, 18-year-olds off to college and get a degree in what all of us have had to learn as a grassroots effort. That's yeah. where we're headed. Yeah, and that's um, 
Yeah, that's a that's that's a yeah the the struggle of simplification in comparison to the struggle of um, growing our ability to be successful in this movement by you know you know having better numbers, having better you know response rates, you know reaching more women who need our services, um, and, and and in reality, when it comes to the marketing world, um, reducing there, there's a famous quote by someone, I don't know his name, but the quote is very famous, at least I love it. He wrote, um, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have time. <laughs> and so um, the idea is that if you take, you know, 120 pages and you boil that down to 40 pages, that's a lot of work. But what you're doing is you're essentially increasing the quality because you're essentially increasing the speed at which someone can get the message, the same message of those 120 but maybe only in 40. Going down to three pages, that's sort of a different, that's a different tactic. That might be mostly to pique the interest and then give them all the information in the 120. But you press something in half, that's a lot of work. And, um, but it, it might improve the, um, how quickly someone's able to get that information. We often, in the marketing work, well, in the marketing world, we'll often take a statement of, let's say 40 words and trying to boil it down to seven words. And that's, that's a very common um, job that we might take on. Exactly. And, and, and anyone who's studied uh, the field of development and fundraising has been taught, you know, be able to give your quote elevator speech. Uh, don't go into a long lengthy explanation, have it down to one sentence or you have your, your one sentence version, your three minute version and your 30 minute version. And all of those tools are helpful. And I think they're especially helpful for the context of a pregnancy center work to be able to say, here's the things that we wanna to have to develop a level of expertise. Here's a 300 page manual, okay? But at the same time, here are the things that we know that in two hours with a new volunteer, we have them to a place where they can go in to a counseling room and begin to have a conversation with someone about what they're going to do with their, with their unborn baby. And, and as you begin to do uh, work outside of America, that's particularly important to simplify. And, uh, and my encouragement for that is there's lots and lots of people who we have life-saving conversations with women in a pregnancy crisis every day all over the world. They talk to their aunties, they talk to their mom, they talk to grandma, they talk to their friend. And these people have no training and yet they are able to come up with the right words. And how, how are they able to do that? Well, because they, they talked very simply. You know, I'm, I'm sorry you're in this situation. Let's figure out what we can do here. We don't wanna go down that road because that leads to, to, to crossing a border that you don't want to do, killing a baby. So they just speak very simply, but very powerfully. And they figure out how to be the good Samaritan in that situation. And we never want to lose sight of that because we have everyday people coming into our centers who want to help mom, help moms and save babies. And we want to employ them right away. So what would you say to the executive director who very likely is overwhelmed because that's the typical stance of having 14 hats. <laughs> and so what would you say to her when it comes to like encouragement to ask for volunteers? How would you 
encourage her to um, make that ask? Well, I think, like you say, it's complex because she needs volunteers to work uh, in fundraising for her banquet and her walk. And she needs uh, volunteers to work in the center of mentoring and following up on some of the moms or maybe the uh, My Baby and Me kind of class work. And so she's got to identify where she can use volunteers. And then she's going to have to figure out the next two things, how to make people aware of those opportunities and what does she need to do to train them just enough to get them started? Not expertly. The biggest problem that I think our directors have made are the ones that I made. And that is we bring in 25 new volunteers and we take them through some sort of six week course and 300 pages. And by the end of that, we have no volunteers left. Okay. So uh, part of it is, is to find a way to make your needs known. But then part of the way is when, the, when they come in to volunteer, put them to work within a week, you know, doing something meaningful mm. and let their expertise grow from there. And then what happens is people who are happy in their, in their making contribution, they tell other people. And that becomes your real marketing plan. Yes, you can try sending out this and doing all this messaging. But at the end of the day, if you've got volunteers doing meaningful things, they're telling other people about it. And you're going to have a steady stream of people coming in to find out if they can make a contribution. Yeah, the, uh, sharing stories of how, like, how I've been blessed as a volunteer. Yeah, that's that's a um, an impactful story for someone to share and for someone else to hear. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, I mean, um, my, job, my job as a director of a nonprofit, when it comes to my donors, is to make them happy that they gave. Okay, that's my job. And my job was the director of a clinic when I was doing that. My job with my volunteers was to make them happy that they contributed their time and that they went home with a sense of fulfillment. So happy donors want to give more. Happy volunteers want to give more time. And that's, that's the simplicity with which I would approach my job. Hmm, that's really good. Really good insight. Well, as we're wrapping this up, is, is there anything else you'd like to share or would you like to tell us anything in particular about your ministry overseas? I know we talked about it a little bit, but would you like to share anything else about that? Well, I would just say that Passion Life is basically um, an extension of the pregnancy help movement here in the States. And as we began to see that 97% of the problem is overseas, uh, I began to basically take everything I know about missions and try to figure out um, how could we expand pregnancy help ministry into a global missions movement. And we started in China and we, then we moved to Cuba and then Vietnam because those are the, you know, those are in the top five countries of the world where abortion and infanticide are most concentrated. So I would just say anybody who wants to see their local ministry be part of the global mission, stop by passionlife.org. Look at what we're doing. Um, look at some of the resources there, because again, that's where we, we can, you know, you can get some of my books that are a hundred pages long, but we have the <laughs> 10 page versions there for people and they're all free resources. So stop by and see what we're doing. And when we were, uh, when we go to a place like Cuba, we bring the pictures and the stories of people that are working here in the States 
of what you're doing in your pregnancy center so that they can inspire people in Cuba, inspire people in Colombia, inspire people in China to figure out how to do it in their own neighborhood. And so that's what we're about. We're a part of a, a movement that's now becoming a global missions movement. That That's, a, that's just so amazing. And I, honestly, I feel ill-equipped to, I honestly, it's just so, like, I focus a great deal on the United States and I, I don't have the exposure of the problem in other countries. I mean, I, I've seen a few videos or movies. I've heard, you know, about China and India. Um, and when it comes to like, you know, the, the governmental impact that, you know, China has on abortion or, or in India, how the dowry will impact people's decision yeah. on abortion. But really, I feel like my exposure to that world is just sort of non-existent as, you know, on a, on a regular basis, at least, or in the most part at all in several of those countries you, you mentioned. Um, well, if you drop by Passion Life, we have a map there of the world and you can literally click on any part of that map and kind of find out what's going on worldwide there. So it's educational. And then you're going to be able to look at the countries that we're working in and, and jump in in whatever way the Lord would lead you. And I think many, many pregnancy centers around this country now want to be a part of what's going on in Romania or, or Cuba or China. They, they want to, they're like the church. You know, the church needs to do missions as well as evangelism. And so pregnancy centers are finding ways to be part of this global movement, not just the pregnancy help ministry movement in the u.s but the global movement and the more that we do that i think the more we enrich the movement make it grow our donors are going to be excited that we're a missions movement and it's just uh it's the trajectory of what we want to do is we want to just keep going to the neediest places wow i i actually met a lady from romania about 12 years ago at a heartbeat international conference and she was sharing her story and i think they had sure zero pregnancy clinics or maybe one in the entire country at that time it was very little i don't remember what number it was right now but i remember thinking uh well, yeah, one of my they, colleagues they at the time progress. one of my colleagues at that time you know decided to pray for her i think maybe started to donate on a regular basis but at least was praying on a regular basis because he was greatly impacted by her yeah. story and and it's just um here in the U.S., we have 3,000 pregnancy clinics, but in Romania at that time, it was like somewhere between zero and two. I don't remember what number it was, but that was 12 yeah. years ago. They've, they've improved. They've improved, no doubt. Uh, I've been to Romania three times in the last five years, and I have visited some of the clinics there, and it's somewhat encouraging, but the point is um, you were glad to get involved. We, 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 our center in Boston got involved with a, a group of people in Zambia. And we have other centers that contribute to Passion Life and ask us to direct their funds to the work going on in Cuba because there's only one pregnancy center in Cuba. So it's just, you know, it's just, we're a generous people and we want to keep going to the neediest places. And you found a place that was needy and was just getting started and they're all pioneers and there's no heartbeat to train them and so on and so forth. And so it, it just falls to us to keep helping these pioneers uh, reach the next step and the next step and the next step until. So out, out of curiosity, if someone wanted to volunteer, 
you know, with or through Passion Life in order to, to help someone in a different country, is that, does that opportunity exist? Or is there a way to volunteer through Passion Life to help, you know, in another country in some way? Well, uh, it depends on what country you're talking about. In China, things are a little bit more challenging there because of the underground church that we work with and, and uh, security issues. Um, but in other places, it's a lot easier. Okay. And again, I know uh, Raul Reyes, uh, he started a ministry called Life Equip, and he's inundated right now with opportunities to train pastors in, in pro-life bioethics to, and crisis intervention, sitting in on a computer, just like we're talking. And so there's, he's calling for volunteers to come and help him train pastors in Uganda and all kind, different places of the world. So wow. there's, there's, that hasn't been our method because we, we like to get into the countries and work that way. But um, it just showed me that there's continually new opportunities for us to put people to work. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, we, yeah, it's, I appreciate what you're doing because it's very different than what I'm doing. And I, but at the same time, we're on the same team and in the same body of Christ. And it's amazing to see, you know, you know, as the, maybe as the foot, it's, it's amazing to see what the eyes get to see or do or you know, what the hand's doing, even though it's very different than what my day-to-day -day might look like. <laughs> well, thank you uh, for giving me some time here to share a few of these things and uh, tease out the idea of doing things well. Anything doing well is worth doing poorly, and hopefully it will help. And let's do it again sometime. Awesome. Thank you so much, John. All right. God bless. God bless.